Well, good morning, and let's give special thanks to our worship team for leading us this morning. It always uplifts my spirits, but uh, today has been extra special, so thank you guys for all the time that you put in, and our tech team, special shout out to Chance. It's just been so fun to get to know him over the last couple months, and I'm thankful for everyone who helps to make this possible because it's just a blessing to be with you virtually since we can't uh, be together in person for our Sunday services yet. I also want to give a special word of thanks to Simon, who preached for us last week. He did a fantastic job, and it was just so fun to hear from a 20-year-old in our church who has just grown up here and been part of our ministry, and it just was such a blessing to hear a really great word. And if you missed that, please go back and watch that. It's going to be awesome for you to be blessed by his words, which he shared last week. I don't know if you have heard, but there is an election happening on Tuesday, And if you haven't heard, let me come join you in that cave uh, that you've been in because it's been a little overwhelming at times. And I want to talk a little bit about the election and politics, what it means to be a Christian during a political season. And I know as I say that, there's sometimes when I'm preaching in the room is like actually has people in it that I start to talk about something and there's just a little bit of tension. And so I wish you were all here with me so I could feel that tension, but I feel that tension even virtually like, oh no, we're going to talk about politics, but don't worry. I'm not going to endorse a candidate. That's not what we're uh, called to do. Um, But I am going to go ahead and run through the propositions really quick. Um, Yes, on Prop 28. There is no Prop 28 this year. There was a Prop 28 in 2012, and yes was the vote. So I'm not even giving you any advice. I'm just telling you what happened in 2012. Spoiler alert, there is no Prop 28. Shout out to Sam Holland for that joke. She was like, yeah, you should just run through the the propositions for everybody. She thought of that, so thank you uh, to Sam. When I was growing up in church, there actually was a guy who would get up and he would often lead prayers for us. And I remember he was leading a prayer, and whenever political seasons uh, were happening, uh, he would say, we're not allowed to do these endorsements during our worship time, so we'll meet across the hall in just a few minutes, and I'll tell you guys how you should vote on these things. And I remember, as like a young kid, thinking, that is not what we're supposed to be doing, right? And it isn't what we're supposed to be doing. We're called to live into a different kingdom and a different reality. And there's something that affects all of us, that I think especially affects us when it comes to politics. We have certain assumptions that if you are an intelligent Christian person, like you are going to see this exactly as I should. And that's true. Trust me, I'm voting for whoever you think I'm voting for. It's exactly true. But what happens, yeah, thank you. What, what happens for all of us, this happens in all forms of life, is what is called fundamental attribution error, that we assume certain things about other people. And what happens is we attribute uh, behavior to character. And so if there is a coworker who is always showing up late for your Zoom meetings, you can think, yeah, he's, he's just irresponsible. He doesn't have it all together. And, you know, he's missed, you know, three of these in a row where he's missing it by about 10 minutes and he, he rushes on. And we start to think like that's just a, an indictment on his character. But if you are late to three Zoom meetings, You're dealing with your mom who's going through cancer, or you're having the conversation with somebody who's really important, or you're doing something else for work and you're trying to get it done. We often don't give others the benefit of the doubt, and that's especially true when it comes to politics, because there are people who you think if if they are voting for Donald Trump, then you just know these other 10 things about them, and you're just sure that they are all of these things, and then somebody else who's voting uh, for Biden, like you know these 10 things about them as well. 
But if you are a mature follower of Jesus, you need to be someone who sometimes leans in and listens to hear from people who are voting and thinking differently than you. And of course, not everybody is going to be able to be a conversation partner for you in that. There are some people who are so angry and, and so bitter about either side, and they are so entrenched in, in their way of, of thinking that you can't have an, an intelligent conversation with that person, like bring something of benefit to both of you. That is true. But I hope that if you are somebody who considers Jesus' calling on your life to be very important, then you would sometimes lean in and listen to people who perhaps have something that you could learn from. Because one of the things that scholars will say Jesus talked about more than anything else is the kingdom of God. He talked about it constantly. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. He constantly said, this is what I am inviting you to participate in. This is what you are supposed to give your life to now. And of course, Jesus also says that we should fight as much as we possibly can to bring heaven to earth. So we feed people who need food and we bless people monetarily as well as we can with, with money that they need. So we bring God's kingdom to earth, but we also recognize that whoever is voted into office on Tuesday evening, things are going to be broken about the system moving forward. And we need to bring the reign of God more and more into our lives, in our hearts, and into the world. I know of people whose lives, it seems, are ruined by Donald Trump being president. And I know there's mistakes that he's made. There are things that he said that I don't agree with. But oftentimes, I think we can give so much a state in our mind, in our thinking, to a politician. And the same is true when Obama was president. There are things that he said that, that he did that we were just wondering and some people were really angry and, and upset about. Sometimes I think we can not allow Jesus to be the king of our life in the here and now. There's a pastor named Tony Evans who says this brilliantly. He said, Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Jesus didn't come to be a footnote on a political party. And oftentimes what ends up happening is that the political parties are just both claiming to be following Christ in, in their ways. And in some ways they are, but obviously in some ways they're not as well. And we must be kingdom people, kingdom first people. Because this is what early Christians lost their lives for. Because they didn't bow down to Caesar they said the emperor isn't God. The message of early Christianity was political, but not always in the way that you think it is. The thing that I think still changes the world if we allow it to is the message that all people are invited to participate. The message that says the things that divide us aren't the things that are going to define us. Because when you are here and you are part of a church and you're in a community, 
You aren't first and foremost a doctor or a homeless person or a lawyer. You aren't like your job. It's not like you are this person because of your wealth or your status in this one part of the world. Because when we come around the kingdom of God, when we are part of the the ministry of Jesus, we recognize that in the sight of God, we all sin and fall short. And that means everyone is welcome around this table. So early on in the tradition and history of Christianity. Someone like Paul, whose life was changed completely by Jesus, says something like this, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is a statement that I think we take for granted. We say, yeah, of course, and we think in some ways, yeah, that's self-evident. Of course. But let's be honest. It hasn't been self-evident in Christian history. And even in our nation, where we claim that it's self-evident, we haven't always done a great job in actually living this way. This is an unbelievable standard that Paul calls us to. And he says, as we gather together, we recognize that we are all one in Christ Jesus. And this is something that the church will try at again and again, but we will fail at again and again, because it is a standard that continues to call us forward, to call us to oneness, even despite our diversity, to to call us to, to oneness, to love people who are different, to sometimes lean into some awkward and hard conversations, because that is who we are called to be. This is the version of Christianity that changed the world and still can change the world. Oftentimes when it comes to participating in church, I think that we have it completely the opposite. I think what we often think of is we like have a buffet of Christianity. And so we will go to a church, we'll look at their website and basically have, you know, these five or six things. Like, do they have these things? And let me check the boxes. And if it has all of these things that I already agree with, then I'll show up. I got to tell you, that is killing our witness in the world because that's not who we're called to be. We are called to be part of a diverse community of people. And that means sometimes people are going to hurt you. Sometimes people are going to say the wrong thing. Sometimes you're going to feel like this, this community has let you down. I've said before, and I'll say it again, one of the slogans for our church, uh, the one that we don't write on the card, we have a home in LA as a slogan for us. But also I like to say that Glendale Church of Christ, if you're around here long enough, we will one day let you down because that's going to happen. And then you can say, all right, well, I'm going to go find another church. And let me tell you that truth too, that that church will let you down. And at that moment, when like the buffet isn't exactly as you want it to be, you can choose to pick up and go to a new one. But I got to tell you, the stuff they're serving isn't that good either. Because when you're in community with people, the type of community that Jesus established, the type of community that Paul writes about, You're called to love this, and that is really, really hard. And it takes us being willing to sometimes live sacrificially. But it's great because when we give our lives to this kind of community, we continue in the long line of Christian witnesses that forever changed the world. Historians think that Paul, who wrote those 
unbelievable words that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female. They think that Paul was killed by Emperor Nero. But after that happened, the Christian movement wasn't killed. And in fact, it continued to grow and to change. And it forever has changed the history of the world. It was really fascinating if you look at the historical documents as Rome is trying to figure out exactly what this weird group of early believers is. They're trying to kind of figure it out and see exactly what is going on with these people. So there's a letter that is written from a historian and a government official named Pliny the Younger, who writes to the Roman emperor Trajan as he has had some people go in and try and figure out what it is that's exactly happening within these Christian communities. So Pliny says this, they asserted, however, that the sum and substance of their fault or error had been that if they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsibly, uh, responsibly a hymn to Christ as to a God, and to bind themselves by oath, not to some crime, not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery, not to falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. When this was over, it was their custom to depart, to assemble again, to partake of food, but ordinary and innocent food. So this historian and government official, Pliny the Younger, is writing to this emperor and basically says, they get together and they're not really doing anything shady. In fact, all they're doing is, is taking an oath. They're, they're singing and they're worshiping God and they have a potluck. This sounds like a real dangerous group of people, right? And something that I notice in that writing that I think is, is so revolutionary that we don't even necessarily recognize it, they meet before Dawn. They meet early, early in the morning. Now imagine that's what it took for your Christian faith, right? You might be like, I'm out on that, right? You know, I'm going to go to the night service instead. And there were night services uh, as well. But it's just a little footnote in that writing, but it's revolutionary because the reason, one of the reasons why they met right at dawn is because they wanted to make sure that those who were slaves in that time and place, and slavery was, was different in that time and place, but it was a very much a part of Roman society. Those who were slaves, they wanted to give them an opportunity to be there. And so those who didn't have to wake up so early, they woke up early so everybody could participate. Paul actually writes to the church in Corinth, which is just a crazy wild church, that as they're having their potlucks and their love feasts uh, are sometimes happening at night, he says, some of you who aren't working as hard of a schedule as some of these other people, you're getting together before the people who can't show up at a certain time and you're getting drunk before anyone else gets there. And there's a lot of problems with that. But as Paul writes this to this church, he's saying, you need to recognize that those who are like working these long hours, you need to wait for them because that is your Christian duty. This is who you're called to be in the world. I just love how Pliny says, yeah, they just get together and they sing. And they eat. This isn't necessarily a group we should be all that suspicious we're worried about. But it's unbelievable that the Christian movement outlasted Rome. 
It really simply doesn't make sense when you look at it historically. Most historians will agree that something revolutionary happened or else there's just no explanation for this group of people who were very, very persecuted from almost the very beginning of this. How this group who would have to get up really early to get together to worship, how this thing outlasted arguably the most powerful nation in human history. But it did. Praise God that it did. The Christian movement will outlast the United States of America. It'll outlast the Democratic Party. It'll outlast the Republican Party. May we be people who live into the uniqueness of our calling and the faith that we have before we think about our politics. And may we say that, yeah, this person is made in the image of God, so I'm going to figure out how to sacrificially love that person, even at times when their decisions and the way they live doesn't always make obvious sense to me. Jordan Peterson, who's a psychologist and cultural critic, says this about the message of Christianity. Christianity achieved the well nigh impossible. The Christian doctrine elevated the individual soul, placing slave and master and commoner and nobleman alike on the same metaphysical footing, rendering them equal before God and the law. The implicit transcendent worth of each and every soul established itself against impossible odds. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is what makes us unique. And this is who we are called to be. And again, as we try and try again to do this as a faith community, we are going to fail. There's going to be times when we fail colossally. But may we get up, dust ourselves off, and try again because this is who we are called to be. And we look at each other through the lens of Jesus Christ, which changes the way that we see some of these things that could easily divide us. Again, we think of that passage, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free. We think of that as self-evident. Well, let's be honest, it's not. And it takes work. Aristotle, who was one of the great thinkers of his time, 300 years before the time of Jesus, said this, some should rule and others be ruled. It's a thing that's not only necessary, but expedient from the hour of their birth. Some are marked out for subjection or slavery. Others are for rule. This is Aristotle, one of the great thinkers of our time. And he said 300 years before the time of Jesus that some people are just born to be ruled by other people. And it's into that world that Jesus is born. And Paul, very shortly after the life and ministry of Jesus, he writes those revolutionary terms that in the eyes of God, it's not going to be how it is. And then 300 years after the life and ministry of Jesus, St. Augustine of Hippo would write that slavery is the result of sin. The Christian movement has been changing the world forever. 
And it's not always through like the right politician getting in charge. It's about us gathering together, singing hymns, worshiping God, gathering around a table and recognizing that what divides us is not what defines us. But it's very simply the love of Christ and God's kingdom, which is unshakable. As we go through the end of this election season, and as we get the results on Tuesday night, as we think about who it is that our next president will be, and I hope that you've thought more and more about your elected officials locally as well. I hope that you've thought a lot about the propositions that you voted on. It matters. We want to bring God's kingdom more and more to this earth. But it feels like in the U.S. and the United States, no matter who's elected, a large percentage of the people are going to be disappointed. And a large percentage are going to be happy. But may we recognize, no matter if you end up happy with the result or not, that it is a very important thing, but it's not the most important thing. And that Jesus' kingdom still moves forward. In 1955, the Soviet Union, or USSR, was established. And from 1955 to 1991, it ruled in Russia. And just like the Pliny the Younger letter to the Emperor Trajan, some of the officials in the USSR were trying to figure out what exactly is the nature of the church. And one of the goals of communism was to elite or delete religion in the world, just get rid of all forms of world religion, because there was a thought that it was the problem with society. So some people went in and did some research to try and figure out what is it that exactly is happening within these churches. And there's a letter that goes between some government officials where this one has done some research and says, you don't really need to worry about the churches in this area because there's not even really many people who attend them anymore. Within 10 or 15 years, it's just going to die out entirely because it's just some old ladies praying in the churches. There's no reason to worry about them. But in the kingdom of God, a group of old ladies has unbelievable power. In the kingdom of God, a group of old ladies praying continues to stand and continues to be more powerful because what still stands is the church of Jesus Christ. You can only find the USSR on a map or in the Beatles song. But a group of old ladies praying, whenever we participate more and more in bringing God's kingdom and reign to our earth. We recognize that Jesus is Lord and we stand with our brothers and sisters who have lived and died for that. So may we, as we think about the election season, may we put our faith first. May we think about what unites us and not what divides us. Jesus, in his longest prayer, before he's leaving the earth, he begins his prayer by praying for uh, the, his own death and that God would be glorified in it. And then he prays that the world and the disciples would experience joy because of what he's doing and, and have some sort of ability to get through the difficult things that are happening. And then Jesus prays for 
all believers forever. He prays for you and he prays for me. Now, if you were Jesus, what is it that you would pray for for the world? I, I mean, I think if I was Jesus as, as a pastor, I'm like, pray that they will still go to church because we need churches and we, we need you to show up on time and, and do stuff. We, we need that. Or, you know, what is it that you'd pray for? You know, God, just make sure that they stay away from the bad things. Now, what is it that is most important that Jesus prays for you and me about? In John chapter 17, this is what Jesus prays for, starting in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, and that's you and me, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may, brought, so they may be brought to complete unity. I always like to say unity is not agreement. Unity is not uniformity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you've sent me. When Jesus prays for you and when he prays for me, he prays for unity, world-altering unity, the type of unity that you all would have the same unity that Jesus has with God. May that be the standard that we live toward forever. May we understand that what divides us is never what defines us. May we be willing to lean in sometimes and learn from people who think differently than us. Because as our world at times starts to feel more and more divided, one of the great witnesses that the Christian church can participate in right now is saying, yeah, we are a group of people that don't fully agree on mostly anything. But the fact that Jesus Christ and the love of Christ changed the world and continues to change the world. Because there are things, let's be honest, that aren't so self-evident. But because men and women of faith have lived and died, understanding that Christ's love changes the world, we've been able to get glimpses of the kingdom of heaven here and there. Because in the kingdom of God, old ladies praying matter. In the kingdom of God, anybody who participates more and more in the reign of God right here and now it matters and it makes a difference. I love it that we were doing our rehearsal this morning and in just a few minutes, we'll be singing the song, All Hail King Jesus. And it is a loud song, which is awesome. And we are singing it at such a loud volume that the people who are voting across the hall will be hearing it. They've already been hearing it this morning and they will hear it once again, those who are newly coming in here. Because this vote matters and it's important. But we as the church have a very important message to remind everyone to live more and more into the kingdom and reality of God. And as Jesus prays for you 
and me. He prays that we would have unbelievably unique unity. That still changes the world.